There we go. I'm going to redo that prayer. Now we're ready. Dear Jesus, please bless us as we study your word today. Amen. It's shorter the second time. So. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I work alone. I work alone. That's a common sentiment from heroes that you might see on a TV show or in a movie. Maybe you're thinking of some of these kind of famous loner main characters. Maybe it's James Bond. Uh, maybe it is Mr. Incredible, who literally says, I think, fly away, buddy. I work alone. Right? So what is this concept? Well, it's the idea that having a partner, maybe if it's like a detective in a show, having a partner or having a sidekick or even having a romantic interest or close friends, that for some of these heroes, you know, having these attachments could distract them from their mission. Maybe it could even hold them back from their mission or it could be used against them. And so a truly dedicated hero works alone. Now you know that in any of these movies and TV shows, the whole rest of the plot is devoted to teaching that main character that they can't be alone. And so they end up learning by the end that they do need other people and they do need to work with a team. But you still have this concept Maybe it's kind of an American concept of the rugged individualist, the lone wolf, I got this, and if I'm really going to do it, I work alone. So as we look now to our sermon series entitled, What If God Was One of Us, where of course we're talking about the time that God actually did become one of us in the person of Jesus Christ, as we look at Jesus, the ultimate hero living in this world, wouldn't you think that out of all heroes, Jesus would be the one to work alone? Right? Because he's God, and we are but mere mortal human beings. I think we'd expect the Son of God to work alone. So does he? Does Jesus work alone? Well, he does, and he doesn't. Interesting. But before we get into our sermon text today, let's throw it back to last week for a minute. Does anybody remember the sermon from last week? Probably not, because it was a whole week ago. But we're talking about Jesus preaching. Remember we talked about how Jesus went back to his hometown, his small town, and he went to the synagogue in Nazareth and he did his preaching. And the result was people were so angry at Jesus that they dragged him out of church, out of town, off to the edge of a cliff, and they were prepared to throw him off a cliff in his hometown. Remember that? So what got the people of Nazareth so upset about Jesus? On a shallow level, it was the fact that they knew Jesus a little too well, or they thought they did, that they had grown up with him, they had seen him, and they thought, this is the carpenter's son, right? He can't be the son of God. But on a deeper level, the reason the people of Nazareth were so upset with Jesus was the way that he talked about salvation from sin. According to Jesus, when it comes to salvation from sin, he works alone. And here's how we said it last week. We kind of paraphrased Jesus' message this way. The Savior is not coming for people who are okay. The Savior is not coming for people who are just fine, thank you. The Savior is not coming for the good ones. He's coming for the broken, the lost, the hurting, the miserable, those who have despaired of all their other options and they have nowhere else to turn. The Savior is coming for people who need to be saved. Remember that from last week? So, in other words, when it comes to accomplishing our salvation, to, to getting right with God, 
knowing that we're going to go to heaven someday when we die, when it comes to those big things, the Savior doesn't need people's help. And he's not expecting us to meet him halfway. It's because we're such flawed, sinful people that even our attempts to help are not good enough. As we said in Bible study, they're not perfect. So if we're truly going to be rescued from sin, if we're truly going to live with God forever, it's not going to come from what we do. It is only going to come from a Savior who is our complete and perfect replacement, a Savior who works alone. So that concept was really frustrating to the religious leaders at Jesus' time. Because they had been working so hard to establish this law-based religion by which they could earn points with God. And they could prove that they were better than other people. And they could meet God halfway, or if not halfway, at least as far as they could reach. But they wanted to be part of it. By following all their laws and rules, they wanted to be part of the solution. And in this context, a Savior who works alone and rescues people only by his grace, they found that to be incredibly offensive. And it's still offensive today. You know, it's an interesting topic. I think this could be a topic for a whole different sermon series. But like misunderstandings that people have with the Christian faith or maybe things that people find offensive about the Christian faith. Would you agree there are things about Christianity that people find to be offensive? People would say, you know, Christianity is intolerant or Christianity is unscientific or Christianity is demeaning towards women or whatever the case may be. But when a person with some of these questions digs into the Bible, maybe they take Bible basics class, maybe they're reading through the whole Bible on their own, but when someone dives deeply into, into the Bible, what very often happens is they find that the criticisms they had of the Bible were actually based on misunderstandings. Maybe there were Christians who acted this way. You know, certainly there were churches that acted this way. But the Bible, not nearly as offensive as they thought it was. This is a common experience for people. But there is one teaching, and it's the teaching at the middle of the Bible, that remains offensive even when people understand it perfectly well. And it's the teaching of salvation by God's grace alone. It's the teaching that our good works are not good enough. Right? That we're so deeply flawed by sin, we cannot improve our state before God. What does the prophet Isaiah say? Even our righteous acts, all of our righteous acts, are like nothing but filthy rags. And so if we ever really want to get connected to God, it can't come from anything we do. We don't contribute anything to the equation. It only comes by the grace of God and the life of our Savior in our place. As we read, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Jesus saved you. It was by his grace only. And you had nothing to do with it. That's offensive to our human heart. Because deep down, we all want to be part of the solution. Deep down, we all want to think that, like, surely we're not totally bad. You know, surely there's something that we could contribute here to get connected up to God. And Jesus says, no, I work alone. That's offensive. But it's also beautiful. 
if you really think about it, because the Bible's teaching of salvation by God's grace alone and by Jesus alone, what it does is it removes the problem that all of man-made religion introduces. And that problem that all of man-made religion has in it is the problem of pressure, right? If I have to check certain boxes, if I have to meet God halfway, if I have to get to a certain level, how do I ever know if I've gotten there? How do I know that I've contributed enough? How do I know that I've lived well enough and proved myself to God? And how can I be sure? But the Bible's teaching that we are saved, you know, totally by Jesus, by Jesus alone, it shows us that the work is already done. I mean, that was one of Jesus' last words before he died on the cross. He said, it is finished. And then after he rose from the dead, he already started talking about he, how he's going to be going up to heaven and start preparing the place for us to be there. That's how finished it is, is Jesus is already getting our heavenly home set for us. We've been entirely rescued by our Savior who works alone. And when we understand it, what a blessing that is, that it lifts the pressure off of our shoulders. But does our Savior always work alone. Well, this is where our gospel reading comes in. And what we're going to see in our reading today is that even though when it comes to salvation, Jesus works alone, when it comes to his ministry, Jesus chooses to use us. He chooses to call people and make us his co-workers. And why would Jesus do that? Well, it's because he knows people. He knows how we're wired, and he knows how desperately we want, we need to be part of something bigger, part of something transcendent, part of something bigger than ourselves. Jesus knows that we need that to be part of the solution. And because we couldn't be part of the solution in getting ourselves right before God, he lets us be part of the solution in sharing his message with others. And so Jesus looks to Christians, regular Christians like you and me, with all of our skills and interests and with all of our weaknesses and flaws and failures. And he uses us. He uses all of it, incorporates it into his plan of sharing the gospel with the world. And the same thing he does for us is what he did with this group of fishermen by the Sea of Galilee some 2,000 years ago. So with that lengthy introduction, uh, let's go into our sermon text, shall we? We read, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And we talked about this last week, like Jesus is becoming an incredibly popular preacher. Part of it is because he's amazing at explaining the Bible and applying it. Part of it is because he does miracles, which tends to draw a crowd. But, you know, thousands of people possibly are pressing up against him, and it's almost to the point where he's going to get knocked over backwards into the water. But Jesus is the son of God. If he wants to, he can walk on the water. In fact, I think he did that once, as I recall. Uh, if he wants to, Jesus could like float himself 15 feet up in the air and deliver his message in the perfect way. But he doesn't because he chooses to enlist the help of people. Right? This is kind of our theme here, and we see this over and over. So Jesus is going to bring his word to the crowd with the help of people. He saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little bit from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So if you can picture it, physically, acoustically, it's the perfect solution. 
Now everybody can see him, even in the back. Now everybody can hear him. Now he's not in danger of, of falling into the water. So it's a better situation for delivering his sermon. But Jesus is not just concerned about his sermon and the crowd that's there. He's also concerned about the man whose boat he happens to be borrowing. Because when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, we said this with the kids. Any good fisherman knows the fish are not evenly distributed throughout the lake. Like every two feet, there's a fish just hovering there. This is not what fish do. They, they school together and they go from one spot to another spot. And for most types of fish, including the ones in the Sea of Galilee, the low light periods are when they're up near the surface. So people go fishing at morning or evening, or like Peter and his friends had done, they had been fishing all night. But the middle of the day when the sun is blazing hot to go to the very middle and put your nets right on the top, it's a waste of time. If you've grown up fishing on the Sea of Galilee, you would not even try it. So what Jesus is suggesting is, is not a smart fishing technique. And Simon knows this, and Jesus knows that Simon knows this. But he also knows Simon has been listening to his sermon and his claim to be the Son of God. And Jesus is about to prove that claim in dramatic fashion. So Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets randomly in the middle of the lake where there shouldn't be any fish. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. So they called their partners in the other boat to come help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. This is a tremendous amount of fish. It's also a tremendous amount of potential income in the commercial fishing industry at Galilee. But can't you picture the reaction from the crowd on the shore, assuming some of them are still watching? Just like, what is happening out there? And certainly the fishermen who were involved were just in awe. It says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. So there could be no more doubt after something like this who Jesus was. Peter says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. But you, you're not just a man. You are the promised Savior. You are the Son of God, the hero who stands so far above mortal human beings that it's ridiculous to think of us being teammates or buddies or, or that you would be someone who would need our help. This is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior who works alone. Or does he? Because now Jesus does something really unexpected. He recruits Simon and these other fishermen to help him. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything behind, and followed him. And these names, of course, you probably recognize because these were some of Jesus' first disciples. Now let me ask you a question. Did Jesus need disciples? Did Jesus need people's help? Of course he didn't. But he chose to need their help. Jesus was going to do all the work of saving us, but he chose a path for bringing the gospel to the world that was going to involve human beings. 
using human words, writing down human words, talking and communicating to other human beings. And in that way, he was going to share the incredible good news of his salvation by grace alone. As Jesus brings his message to the world, he wants his disciples to be a part of it. And he wants you to be a part of it too. Now, Jesus may not have called you into his ministry through a miraculous catch of fish. If you have a story like that, please share, because it sounds exciting. Probably wasn't through a miraculous catch of fish, but Jesus did call you using water, right? It was the water of baptism. The book of Romans says it like this. We were buried with Christ through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In our baptism, our sinful nature is drowned, and we come forth as new people, living with new priorities. One of those priorities is living a life for Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that like everywhere we go and everything we do, we help somebody and we're like, boom, that was for Jesus. When we help somebody across the street, we're like, also for Jesus. I think it's more organic, is the word we talked about in Bible study, that it just flows out of us. When we are looking at our life through this lens, that God has rescued us for free and we get to go to heaven someday forever, that makes us think a certain way about our limited hours and days here on earth. This is our opportunity to serve God but this is also our opportunity to impact people. And as we live our regular Christian lives for Jesus, God uses us to impact people in more ways than we ever realize. Through your totally unique blend of skills and interests and your connections and your networks, God gives you opportunities to bless the people around you and to, to share his love with them just through the regular things that you do. God shouldn't need you. God could have found a different way to do this, but he didn't. He has chosen to need you so that you can be his salt and his light to your world. But there's another thing that God chooses to do through you, and this one is a little bit more specific. God doesn't just want you to live a life that reflects his love in general. He also wants you to actively tell people about his love, telling people about Jesus. I don't know how often you thought of this. God wants you to be the voice of his gospel. God wants you to do it. And your unique blend of skills and interests and your networks and connections and everything else, God uses those things to lay out in advance opportunities for you to have conversations with people about Jesus. And kind of like we practice in Bible study, you don't have to do it in a very weird, strictly dogmatic way, but just talking from the heart about what the grace of Jesus means to you and your outlook and your life. God wants you to be the voice of his gospel, and he even wants you to do it in your own regular words, describing your faith to people. Should God need you? No. But he's chosen to need you. God could have chosen a different way to spread his word to the nations, but he didn't. He has chosen to do it through you. So why? You say, why does God pick me? Why, why do I have to do this? I don't know. Why, why does Jesus pick you? Well, it's because Jesus knows you, and he knows how desperately you need to be part of something bigger than yourself. I mean, it doesn't matter if you are outgoing or shy. 
doesn't matter if you are a new Christian or if you've been a Christian your whole entire life. Every human being has a built-in need to be part of something bigger, to be part of something transcendent, to be part of the solution. So Jesus makes you part of the solution. He says, you didn't get to help with this. I did all of this already for you. I forgave you by grace alone. It's finished. But I know you want to do something. And so I'm going to let you do something. God could find a different way to bring his word to the world, but he doesn't. He's chosen to do it through you. I will make you fishers of people. So, does Jesus work alone? Well, he does and he doesn't. But I think our second lesson from Ephesians just sums it up perfectly. The first half of the verse says, you know, on the one hand, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. It's not by works, so nobody gets to boast. And the picture here is Jesus is taking no chances with our eternal salvation. He's not going to put it into our grubby little sinful hands. Jesus has got it covered. He's got us covered. He has done all the work for us so that we know our salvation is entirely secure. In the matter of salvation, God works alone. But on the other hand, we are now God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepares in advance for us to do. In your baptism, God called you to be his co-worker, and he wants to use your life to be his blessing to the world. And he wants to use your voice to be the voice from which people hear the message of their Savior. He could find a different way to do these things, but he's chosen not to. He has chosen to do them through you. And in so doing, do you see what God has done? He has infused what could be a boring, humdrum, day-to-day -day existence. He has infused every single moment of every single day of your life with eternal, powerful purpose. Because you are on his mission, connecting people to his love. So, it's a lot to think about from a fishing trip with Jesus. But at the end of it all, I think we just say, what a fantastic God we have. Because who could have guessed that after becoming one of us, which is already amazing, and after rescuing us totally by his grace, which is like the best ever, on top of it all, that God would call us to be his co-workers. He doesn't have to do it. But he does, because he loves us. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your Savior. Amen. Our worship continues now with our offering. Uh, if you'd like to give us a text gift today, you can use the text information on the screen. If you're watching online, uh, we will share a giving link in the comments section, and you can give that way. You can also always put cash or check into the offering basket at the back. Speaking of which, again, don't forget to fill out your cards and drop them in that basket as well. Thank you so much.